Where's the remote? Did you say? Did you say something, bitch? Oh, god damn it. Fucking dark outside now. Son of a. Hello? 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 Are you. Are you recording? A fucking note? What the. Fucking. What? Sh shut up and read, Titty. Jesus. There isn't much time. Who am I kidding? Actually, I'm lying. There's a. <laughs> there's a little bit. But no one is home, and I ran to the store for a zero bar. Jesus. I don't know what time they'll be back. Idiot. You shouldn't be eating that shit. We shouldn't be eating that shit. I know, but it's a goddamn zero. <sighs> the greatest candy bar on earth. Go fuck yourself. Well, fuck you two. Wait, how did he know I... I know, because I did what you did, but... You know, before. <sighs> Fucking time travel bullshit. The mic is on and recording. Do me a favor and knock out an episode real quick. It won't take long. It's about the last thing you read. What a lazy piece of shit future me is. And me, we, what a dick. Wait, the last thing I read was the Tizard mission. No, stupid. The thing that was stuck in the back of the book. The other thing. That, that wasn't a book, dickhead. It was a... Uh, Google defines a book as written or printed. Google defines a book as a written or printed word consisting of pages glued or sewn together along one side and bounding covers. It was in the covers. Aw, oh, come That's a stretch, man. He, just read the damn book! Exclamation point. I'm not even going to exclaim that shit. I've already written out everything for you. Just do it already, okay? <sighs> All right. All right. This is cheating, though. It's not cheating. It was in the pile. No. No. It was among the books that we won at the auction. Just do it, Titty. This... You know what? This calling me, this calling me Titty shit is some real bullshit. It's bullshit. Countdown for blast off. X minus five, four, three, two... X minus one, fire. Welcome to Elton Reads a Book a Week, the podcast that understands my name is Elton and I read a book a week. Due to my inability to maintain a diet when there's a zero bar within a 50-mile radius, this episode will be recorded by Titty, uh, the time-traveling version of myself from the past. That's still confused as to why this is happening to him. That's very true. Too terrified he'll do something to destroy the fabric of space and time to stop. I am. Uh, must not be told anything about what's to come, because doing so may end all of existence. That's scary. And really, really loves being called Titty. Uh, fuck that fucking fuck. <sighs> he read this book previously as it was jammed into the back portion of the book, The Tizard Mission. So according to my insatiable lust for zero bars, it counts as a goddamn book. It doesn't. Shut up, Titty. Let's get into... <sighs> Let's get into successful living. A book... Not really a book. Published in 1978 by Ambassador College. And there will be a bit of a tangent here. Because I found out a lot of interesting stuff about the publishers in doing a little research for this. I will get back to the actual book. Not a book, by the way. What the fuck is an Ambassador College? It was a privately supported Christian school in the liberal arts tradition. It was established in 1947 in Pasadena, California by radio evangelist Herbert W. Armstrong. The history of Ambassador College was tied to the development of the radio-slash-worldwide Church of God. The college was approved by the state of California to grant degrees. <laughs> now, what the fuck is a radio church? Well... The name Radio Church of God was initially selected in the 1930s because Herbert Armstrong started the church as a radio program in Eugene, Oregon. The church later changed its name to the Worldwide Church as it became more popular. Then later still, 
changed to Grace Communion International. It's recognized as a Christian denomination and is based in Charlotte, North Carolina. The former mentioned organizations uh, had an often controversial influence on 20th century religious broadcasting and, and publishing in the United States and Europe. Now, wait. I know what you're saying, dear listener. Some of you might be thinking, bravo, Elton. Way to take an unexpected turn into the fun-filled land of Christendom, where every day is a panic-filled week before Judgment Day, and one can always find a cross to bear. And still others heard the words church and fumbled for their skip button so fast it left burn marks. Just fuck, just relax, all of you. I'm going to try treating this like politics, all right? I'm going to I'm going to go as evenly keel as I possibly can. You you have your deity thing and I'll have uh, I have mine, maybe if I do or do not. It's not relevant. So regardless, it's none of my business what you're doing with God or what religion you're doing it with. I'm not here to preach. As it happens, what I read in the book, which is still not a book, by the way, was actually very secular and helpful. Kind of. I think I've taken special care to thread the needle on any pontificating or what have you. So back to the church that backed the college that published this fucking thing and how the leader of that church prophesied about the apocalypse, fucked up, and got into deep shit about it. Oh, not so deep, but still shit. You're on board now, I bet. Nothing like someone fucking up prophecies about the end of the world to pique a little bit of interest. What is it about everything meeting a violent end, all-encompassing, just burning, that brings a twisted smile to people's brains? Better yet, someone being dead wrong about that shit. It's just satisfying in a weird way. It's like, oh, I don't want the train wreck to happen. I don't, I don't, but watch him say it. Oh, the fucking world's ending. Now watch that backpedal when they're wrong. Oh, shit. <laughs> Love that red face. Damn it, the world's here. here. All my followers are like... Mm-hmm. Oh, do you love seeing people that aren't you in a palpably awkward situation? Boy, oh boy. Oh my god, it's so great, isn't it? You're sick, and I love you for it. High five. Up high. Up high with it. Oh shit. Yeah, this is a podcast. That's not how this works. Maybe later, though. Maybe later. Maybe we'll hook up, get together, high five. We'll get together. Um, now, the end of the world. The whole world in his hands. He's got the whole world in his hands. He's got the end of the world in his hands and of the world in his hands. <laughs> that came out of nowhere. <laughs> okay. The founder of the Radio Church of God, Herbert W. Armstrong, was born on July 31st, 1892, and died unpredictably on January 16th, 1986. He was an early pioneer of radio and televangelism, first taken to the airwaves on January 7th, 1934, from the 100-watt station KORE in Eugene, Oregon. Oregon for you layman, he preached theology and teachings that drew a lot of criticism and controversy. Stuff like the reason for Jesus Christ's presence on earth was to proclaim the gospel message of a literal kingdom of God that will be established on earth at Christ's second coming. So Jesus was here to scout locations for God's gated community, more or less. So uh, let me get this straight. So God, the, uh, the, uh, the God, the one you're saying is your father. He didn't send you down here to save anybody? Uh, yes, you are correct, sir. And, uh, may I add your ability to speak in a language that's not yet been invented in this form is quite amazing. You're not even attempting Aramaic. Yeah, I know. I, I thought I'd give this one a try. I think, I think, uh, I think we're going to call it English. I'm going to call it English. My father, that's a nice name. What's it based off of? Uh, base Jesus? Yes. What's the name English based on? Oh, that, that is also a made-up word. Ah, I see, I see. So so your question in English was, uh, again, you 
not here to give us a shot at salvation? Oh, no, 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 no. Fuck no, no. No, I'm here to sell lots and parcels of land in my father, God that is, in his great kingdom, so far named Just Kingdom of God. Gosh, that's an awful name. I, I, I think I'll pass. Are you sure? Every lot comes with a free birdbath. No, no, I'm good. Thanks anyway. Oh, hey, how do you know how to speak this newfangled English I just invented, Jesus? Oh, I picked it up, oh, uh, sometime around, go fuck yourself. In 1952, Armstrong published, Does God Heal Today? Which provided the details on his doctrine on healing and his ban on doctors. Among his tenets were that only God heals and that medical science is of, is of pagan origin. <laughs> God damn it. Medical science is that of a pagan origin and is ineffective. He believed that most illnesses were caused by faulty diet and that doctors should prescribe proper diet rather than medicine. <laughs> he taught that members are not to go to doctors, for healing must be trust in divine healing alone. This was his teaching despite his father's death in 1933 after an all-night vigil of prayer. This teaching has been the cause of much controversy as individuals influenced by such teachings came to die. No fucking shit. <sighs> so, all in all, that's pretty fucking terrible, right? Armstrong also taught a form of British Israelism, which is the belief that those of Western European descent, notably England, Ephraim, and the United States, Manasseh, 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 let's just go with that, Manasseh, and the United States, Manasseh, are direct descendants of the ancient northern kingdom of Israel. That's right. Not sure if that's an attempt to whitewash Jesus out of being Middle Eastern. Still, it feels very, very, very wrong to think that uh, for some reason, uh, Western European people, uh, which uh, people, uh, notably people in England who are back then, uh, just think they're white. And the people in the United States, that this guy, uh, he was thinking white. That Middle Eastern people were white. It's kind of a little bit insane. Um, divorce in his in his uh, in his preaching was strongly discouraged. At times, this was strictly enforced by requiring members that had previously divorced and remarried to divorce their new spouses, so that they were not living in adultery. That's fucking crazy. It's like calling up uh, someone you just divorced. You you divorced years ago, calling them up, uh, even though you're remarried. And just just call them up on the phone and say and saying hey 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 this is gonna this is gonna sound like uh 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 insane, but uh, according to my preacher, God wants me to divorce uh, my way out of the happy marriage that I'm in, I'm the one I'm currently in, and then we're just gonna undo that with a divorce, uh just like we did, and then and then we the uh, the person you me and you who I divorced years ago, we're gonna remarry. So that we're not living in sin, according to my preacher, who is pretty sure this is what uh, this is what God wants. Hmm. Well, that's that's strange. Does God know I hate you and uh, tried to beat your face in with a bat on three separate occasions? Uh, apparently, uh, apparently, God is fine with that. Fucking crazy. Members were consequently expected to conform to a strict dress code as well. Long hair and piercings were not allowed for men, whereas makeup and short hair were frowned upon for women. Members were expected to dress conservatively and modestly, and required to do so for the church. Uh, smoking was considered to be a spiritual sin, and was grounds for a minister to refuse baptism. Fucking wow. You smoke? I don't think you're getting into heaven. Not on my watch. Fucking smoker. Go to hell. Critics contend that these requirements base salvation on the teachings of men rather than the grace of God or the instructions of the Bible. Yeah, didn't God invent cigarettes? Is that how that works? I mean, we are... It's, see, I don't, I don't get it. I don't, we are God's children. That's what I've heard. So you think... I've also heard stuff like God lives through us. So, I mean, if... I mean... God had to invent cigarettes through us. So is God good with I don't see. I don't understand. Anyway. Anyway. It just sounds crazy to me. 
This this particular brand. All of that. Uh, okay, so it's more crazy. It's just God gives a shit about what you're dressed like. Yeah, I mean, you come into this world buck naked. And, and didn't Jesus have long hair according to every velvet painting I've ever seen of Jesus? Did he? But his proponents believe that Herbert Armstrong was inspired by God and had a gift to understand prophecy. And here's where he really missed the mark. Armstrong predicted an upcoming nuclear war and subsequent enslavement of mankind, leading to the return of Jesus Christ. And that prophecy goes a little something like this. The United States, the United Kingdom, Australia, and other English-speaking Israelite according to him, nations, contrary to popular cultural belief, would neither be attacked nor destroyed by the Soviet Union, but that a nuclear World War III would destroy the countries. The attack would come from a German-dominated United States of Europe. It's never revealed exactly which uh, 10 nations will be included in that, in this, you know, in the United States of Europe, but this resurrected Roman Empire, according to him, will bind together some 250 to 300 million people. Millions of peoples. Millions of peoples. My God. That is more manpower than Russia or the United States has. The strong indication of these prophecies, then, is that some of the Balkan nations are going to tear away from behind the Iron Curtain uh, when this United States of Europe emerges, led by a Nazi-style dictator identified as the Beast. Yeah, that's... That's a fucking name, isn't it? Have your whole fucking nation run by a guy called The Beast. Like, uh, hey, uh, look, we, we're we not sure about these traffic signs. They say slow the fuck down, and that's all they say. They give no indication of speed. Um, are we supposed to just run with that? Shouldn't they have some kind of mile per hour or kilometer per hour thing on there? I mean, uh, is this what we're running with? Do you want to bring it up to The Beast? Go ask him. No. Now, fuck it. I mean, slow down. Just fucking slow down. Seems like a good... I mean, they're just going to know. This guy was identi- the Nazi-style dictator, identified as the Beast, and dominated by a religious leader, um, unnamed, uh, who would probably be a Roman Catholic Pope. And he's just identified as the Antichrist. So, your community's run by a guy named the Beast and the Antichrist. Uh, I think the name would dissuade people from living in that place. You might want to leave when they're like, who's in charge? Oh, the Antichrist. Like, ah, oh, I hear that's bad. Ah, I heard that somewhere. Not sure where. Oh, the fucking Oh yeah, all of history and time and all they always said that would end up bad with the Antichrist. Something about the devil and the world ending. I don't know. Think I'm gonna leave. Uh might want to move. Think the beast will let me? In the aftermath of the nuclear attack, one-third of the population would be dead. So, yeah, I'm kind of right there. See, you might want to leave before that happens. Ah, uh, another third would then die as a result of simultaneous attacks from abnormal weather patterns, which would create drought, destruction, and epidemic diseases. The remaining third would then be taken into slave labor camp captivity by the United States of Europe. So, I mean, just all around fucked key events that would signal the eminence of Christ's return and, well, he taught of a specific end-time prophecy to be fulfilled, and it manifested in the form of European peacekeeping forces surrounding Jerusalem, at which time God's church would be taken to a place of protection or a place of safety, possibly Petra in Jordan. I like that in his prophecy, God hasn't even nailed down where all of his chosen survivors are going to be kept safe. It's like every time he talks to God about it, God is all, for fuck's sake, Herbert, I haven't decided yet, okay? Get off my back about this place of safety shit. I'm only the all-knowing God over here, all right? I have an entire fucking universe to deal with. I'm still trying to work out American shoe sizes versus European, and, and why no half sizes? The damn prayers are flooding in about this shit, and you're all over me on the other side just bitching about fucking safety places all the time. God damn it. Where's the safe place? Where's the safety place? You're f- fucking, I don't know yet, okay? Uh, you, fucking, I don't, uh, Petra. Uh, yeah, in Jordan, maybe. I don't know. Big tentative maybe on that herb. I don't know, really. Okay? Good. Good enough, herb. Yeah? Yeah? Good enough? Huh? Yeah? Petra? Yeah? Yeah? Fuck off, herb. 
World War III was predicted to be triggered by the United States of Europe, led by Germany, which would destroy both the United States and the United Kingdom. Hmm. Uh, from the place of safety, they, meaning the survivors of, you know, the church's congregation, would continue the work and prepare to help Christ establish utopia upon his return. Holy shit! Get me on the first Jesus Christ ship out of this motherfucker, Mr. Armstrong. During the early days of the Cold War, Armstrong attended a meeting in San Francisco in which a proposal was made to create the United Nations. Uh-huh. There it is, United, damn near United States of Europe. Huh. He had also read a quote, 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 it's like a, it's like a real quote, but out of your ass, quote. Anyway, he also read a quote, fucking did it again. He also read a quote from Winston Churchill proposing the creation of a United States of Europe. This was a springboard, of course, that the uh, Ten Kings, Ten Horns, and Ten Crowns of Revelation reveal a, uh, reveal a European Union that would rise up to become the Beast Power. Do you remember the Beast? He runs shit. He's a he's a elected official with the name the Beast. Oh man, uh, Armstrong said uh, prophecy, the prophecy shows ten kings. The prophecy is ten kings will arise in Europe and give their power to Germany. Because that's what powerful people do. They just hand it off. He predicted that an upcoming nuclear war and subsequent enslavement of mankind leading to the return of Jesus Christ. Uh, he wrote the book 1975 in prophecy! Exclamation point there. And explained that the book was written to contrast the spiritual condition of the world with the modern inventions that scientists were promising for the year 1975. Big boon for inventions, uh, 1975, I guess. I can't think of any. Computers? I don't know. Uh, automated things? I don't know. I don't know. Ford? Assembly line shit? And you know, robot arms? I don't know. In 1971, Armstrong criticized teachings that Christ would return in 1975 and that the church should flee to a place of safety in 1972, as no man knew the time of Christ's return. Matthew 2436 and 2513. Armstrong wrote that 1975 would be actually the least possible year for Christ's return. A little bit confusing. When the fall of 1972 came and the time to flee to a place of safety didn't occur, there was, uh, there was an exodus of members who had, uh, who had had expectations, yet became disillusioned. Because when the world doesn't fucking end when you think it's going to, of course you're like, fuck this, I'm out of this club. I was hoping for a sweet condo in Petra, and now all I have is this shit house in California. Fuck you, Mr. Armstrong. I'm taking my Christianity elsewhere. Uh, people in God. So Mr. Armstrong began to more urgently preach the gospel of the kingdom around the world. He set about uh, doing that with the help of some public relations aides and King Leopold of Belgium. So, you know, kings. In the end, no end of the world. Many members were disappointed that the events predicted in the uh, biblical prophecy Herbie was uh, expounding and preaching about uh, hadn't come to pass because it's horseshit. So they uh, they drifted off, some forming opposing churches, like uh, opposing hockey teams, fistfights, a lot of underwear being thrown. I don't know why. They just turned on each other, ripping each other's clothes off, berating each other with a lot of heavy petting involved. That's not right. That's not, it's not true. No, that was all bullshit. Sorry. Just, it's, church isn't heavy petting. Anyway, let that be a lesson to all of you burgeoning doomsday prophets out there. Never give a hard date for your end of the world. All right? You need to be more fluid and murky in your stick to me and my messages from God or you're all fucking dead rhetoric. Give them something like, in the future, on a date, the moon will rise high in the sky at night, not during the day, but at night. And the planet Neptune will appear in the sky, the night sky, either where it is or where it usually isn't. At that time, a nondescript man with some kind of skin tone, or not, will be in power, or about to be, or not in power. And he and his group will bring about a policy that may, or may not, affect people's lives in a negative, or maybe not negative manner, causing great 
to upheaval or indifference or not, it will be on that day at 6.37 a.m. that the entire world will end. You want an apocalyptic scenario that you can move around on a calendar, and it is uh, fairly easy to adapt to changing political and uh, social climates, you know. That's what I'm saying. When you start giving solid dates, you have to know that that's a deadline. And it's highly probable that your shit is not going to match up on that deadline or ever happen because it's bullshit. You know, you tell them that uh, all of the world's eyes will be melted out by demon rape lords with glass shards for genitals in two years. Unless they help you build the bunker God wants you that he wants you to build to save everyone with. And then, uh, you know, two years later on the day... It turns out to be just another President's Day. How do you fucking walk that shit back? Do you have an apology ready? Is, there, is it going to be uh, in the form of a barbecue? They're going to be glaring at you, staring fucking daggers with every uh, burger they wolf down. Can I get some extra fucking G's on that? Right? We're all supposed to be dead. Fuck you. Uh, man- mustard and a mayonnaise, please. Give yourself some flexibility, okay? And avoid adding things like natural disasters, too. I mean, seriously, who the fuck knows when any of that shit's going to go down? You don't want to be the uh, the guy that tries to jazz up his uh, humanity snuff dream with a volcano that's going to be uh, that's gonna cut the world in half, only to find out that some smart-ass volcanologist is in your congregation saying, um, we're, not, we're not in the volcanic zone. There's no way that's ever going to happen. Then you have a hole to uh, dig yourself out of. It's just, it's just more trouble than it's worth. I mean, stick to man-made disasters. People are quite familiar with fucking up, so they expect other people to fuck up because they, themselves, are fuck-ups, all right? So Armstrong's dates came and went, and nothing happened. Armstrong was often criticized for uh, having lived in extravagant wealth in comparison to a, to a few church members. Personal luxuries enjoyed by Armstrong included, ready, a personal jet, the finest clothing, uh, furniture, and other conveniences, now, where did all that shit come from, you say? Uh, Armstrong taught the biblical doctrine of tithing. Uh, tithing is where you give a percentage of your money to the church whenever you earn it. So, uh, 10% of a church, 10% of a member's gross income was to be given to the church. Then another 10% was to be saved for personal expenditures incurred by attendance at the annual Holy Day celebration, the Feast of the Tabernacles. So, let's just call it 20%. Then every third year, members gave an additional tith to help widows and orphans of the church. Um, so that's what, 30? I don't know. Some years it was 30. Uh, there were seven high holy days uh, that were celebrated throughout the year on which members gave offerings in baskets that were passed around. So more money. Every month, Herbert Armstrong would write and mail out a co-worker letter to members and non-members supportive of the work of the church through their donations. Ah, oh, goddamn. The church headquarters, of course, were beautiful, as was Ambassador College, and uh, they were both on prime real estate. Armstrong's mansion was alongside Orange Grove Boulevard, which is part of the route of Pasadena's annual New Year's Day Rose Parade. The church possessed several mansions in that area, of course, known as Millionaire's Row, and had built other large facilities on the 30-acre property, including a spectacular concert hall called Ambassador Auditorium now the resident home of the Pasadena Symphony. Armstrong spared no expense in the building of his auditorium. Its external walls were made of emerald onyx. Walls in the outer lobby were made of a rare pink onyx, and the beautiful candelabras and chandeliers were on display, including two that had been owned by the Shah of Iran. Yeah. They hung from gilt ceilings inside the concert hall. Acoustically designed sidewalls were made of rosewood. Armstrong also used church tith money to subsidize the performances by noted artists such as Luciano Pavarotti, Vladimir Horowitz, I don't know who that is, Bing Crosby, Marcel Marceau. Yes, Marcel Marceau. He's a mime. How do you have a fucking perform? And of course, Bob motherfucking Hope. All without informing his congregation of how God's holy tith had been spent. Because of course he did. Armstrong did not accept the concept of eternal judgment in this life. He believed that those who die as unbelievers prior to the return of Christ exist in a state of unconsciousness uh, or soul sleep until after the millennium at the second resurrection, during which they will be offered the choice to submit to God's government. Gov just, he runs, what is, 
What kind of government is that? Dictatorship? Is that God's... Uh, fucking too much. But of course he didn't. Of course he didn't accept uh, the concept of eternal judgment in this life. Of course not. Uh, not with all that money. So, via his prophecy that brought in followers, and then uh, eventually he leaked them out because uh, the end of the world never fucking happened. Before that happened, though, he drained off enough uh, from them for the funding of some mansions and some expensive-ass land, and the Ambassador College was brought into existence because of all that doomsday prophecy money. The Ambassador College printed out publications, uh, such as the one I read, which is uh, Successful Living. Prior to concluding its mission to liberal arts education in August 1997, uh, having awarded 9,362 degrees before closing its doors as a fully accredited institution. During the time their doors were open, they published several works as part of a secular outreach uh, of the church-funded Ambassador International Cultural Foundation, and they were published uh, via the Ambassador College. That brings us to Successful Living, the book that's not a book. Quit your whining, titty. Fucking, it's not my fucking name. <laughs> oh my God, it's, it's fucking, it's not worth it. Pressing on. <sighs> Sorry about the long way around on this one. But I, I think prophecies uh, about the apocalypse are fucking interesting, especially when they fail. Oh man, because they always do. Because they're, they're not true. And uh, it kind of relates to the short book. Uh, the church and everything. It's not a book. Now, uh, what's in this successful living thing, you're asking? Lots, kind of. And uh, it's not trying to get you to convert. So, I mean, okay, a little. Well, anyway, I left out a little bit uh, in here where someone quotes the Bible. But uh, I'm going to paraphrase the main idea of that. So let's start with a time to be negative. It's a piece under the heading of The Human Encounter. I don't know. I just I just read this stuff. So, let's talk about the quasi-religious movement called Positive Mental Attitude, which, according to Successful Living, when properly understood, is a forceful concept, one that unlocks the great power from within, which must be what Taco Bell food is, because after that, I get the shits and fart something fierce. By golly! <laughs> oh, Lord, those shits. That's some low-hanging fruit there, and I ruined a possible sponsorship, so you're welcome. Now, this is talking about the notion of always having a positive mental attitude and how that might be a problem. There's a strength in having a healthy, negative mental attitude, too. This needs some explaining, of course, um, as a lot of anecdotal evidence and uh, tons of case studies have shown that a negative mental attitude leads to things like, you know, beating someone in the streets for a pretzel and then jumping off a building afterward. Not a lot of positives and negativity. <laughs> it just doesn't seem like... Anyway, alas, this is what the piece is saying. There's a lot you can do and a lot you can learn from your negative mental attitude. Perhaps it's trying to subconsciously let you know that there's a real problem. There's a lot you can learn from your negative mental attitude, is what this thing is saying. Perhaps it's trying to subconsciously let you know that there are real problems in whatever you're trying to execute. Not... Ex not execute murder. Stop, I, that's it. Didn't say that, and and I I'd never condone. Well, I mean it. It. it I mean it depends on who you you, uh, you want to. I'm getting off topic. They give an example here of a guy who thought he was doing everything right and was just fucking failing, failing, failing. He's a fucking piece of shit, failing. Like, the, okay, they didn't exactly say that, but that's what they're getting at. He's not doing well, is what they and uh, is what I'm saying. He analyzed all his problems to be simply negative thinking. Ah, but what he should have been doing is listening to his negative thinking. Perhaps his mind was signaling what he was doing wrong. Maybe those notions of self-loathing were a cry from his subconscious to change up his game. Do a little self-evaluation. Pick apart his approach. Use that negative mental attitude to develop creative ways out of his problems or out of your problems. See, having a positive mental yeah, having a positive mental attitude is only half the equation. Okay, by leaning too hard in the positive mental direction, we ignore those warnings slash signs slash depressive spirals into oblivion for what they are. 
lighthouses strobing and warning us to course correct onto a more favorable path. Or, or the beginning steps on a slippery slope into binge drinking and habitual drug abuse fueled by constant self-defeating, endogenously imposed flagellation. It's, it's one of those things. It's either the lighthouse thing or, or this or the other things with the moving on. There are some nifty quotes in here uh, that are worth sharing. So here we go. Okay. Uh, quote, love is an irresistible desire to be irresistibly desired. Robert Frost said that. Now here's one that eerily uh, is eerily fitting for today's polarized world. Quote, it is easier to love humanity than to love one's neighbor. Eric Hoffer said that. Now here's another that seems to fit too. Um, quote, the trouble with being your brother's keeper is that he thinks you're trying to be his boss. Uh, end quote. Evan Esser. Evan Esser said that. I'm, I, I, didn't, I don't think I closed quotes on any of that stuff. Did that Was that confusing? Did the, I said quote, and then I didn't say unquote at the end. I'm pretty sure you're smart. I don't need to fucking do that. Here are two skewing, uh, here are two quotes skewing toward uh, relationship advice. Quote, I'm going to start doing that. Quote, love does not consist in gazing at each other, but in looking outward together in the same direction. End quote. Hmm. Antoine de Sant said that. Or Antoine de Saint? I don't know. Antoine de Saint Exupéry. Exupéry. The thing with reading this stuff is there's no. I just say it in my head and uh, I hope it's right. That's all I got. Antoine de Saint. Antoine Antoine de Saint Exupéry. Exupéry? Exupéry. I want to say it's Antoine de Saint Exupéry. That sounds like a French Muppet. Anyway, here's another one. Quote A man may be said to love most truly that a woman quote a man may be said to love most truly that woman in whose company he can feel drowsy in comfort end quote uh, that was George Jean Nathan I think that means if he can fall asleep around you he trusts you enough not to kill him that's love that was me I said that you can quote that if you want and finally quote love's blindness consists oftener in seeing what is not there than in seeing what is. End quote. That was Peter DeVries. V-R-I-E-S. Peter DeVries. Peter DeVries. Peter DeVries. Anyway, my version of that uh, beautiful sentiment is love can see through ugly. And if it can't, drink more. Now that I've softened you up, ladies out there, huh? Yeah. It's time to lay down the law. Okay, maybe not lay down the law, but to talk about frustration, or at least the strange thing, uh, or at least the strange kind of frustration that this book-ish type thing seems to think only women get. But upon reading about it, seems to be the kind of frustration any person can get. You confused? Good, good. Let's go. Which of us, at some time in our life, have not said, I've had it up to here? Or as Winston Churchill once said, this is something up with which I will not put. In all fairness, when you hear that, you should understand that Winston Churchill was a very drunk man and drunk a lot of the time he said things. So frustration, ladies. What the shit is going on with it? And why is it only you have it? According to the fine people at Successful Living, you have problems dealing with your shit. Man up, woman. Grow some balls. Like this lovely lady in this piece did. She was asked... How do you react to tension and frustration? The answer? Very badly. <laughs> we both laughed in the awkward exchange. Question. Well, how? <laughs> answer. I cry. I think of something sad and cry myself to sleep. In the morning. I'm ready to face the day again. Boom. Shit. You hear that, weakling women? That lady is a man's man. She curls up in a ball punches herself in the brain until she drains every tear from her face. And then, no more tears. No more sad. Go to work. Not good enough. Not nearly good enough. I hear you, ladies. How about this tough-as-nails dame? Quote, I sit or lie down in a dark room and meditate. I breathe in and relax. If a problem needs solving, I let my subconscious handle it, especially an emotional problem. Hey, 
What the hell? This sounds like pretty solid advice for anybody. Are you women holding out on everyone else with the with these radical deflation techniques? Here's another one. Quote, I go into the bedroom and close the door. Then I play solitaire for 20 minutes. It gets my mind totally free of problems and allows me to relax and think calmly. Also, I exercise. I have a good game of tennis. In fact, any uh, change for my regular routine helps me handle tension and frustration. What the fuck is this? This is good advice for anybody that's frustrated and tense. God damn it. It's almost as if tension and frustration is a common problem amongst all people. And these techniques are good for most of them. I'm sure there are some that live for tension. But, I mean, there's a fetish for everything out there. Now, that isn't to say that there isn't some poor advice slumped into this weirdly lopsided work. There's a bit of a there's a bit about demanding things of yourself which you're not equipped by nature to achieve. Um, the example it gives is this quote: "If you're not built to land a job as a stately willowy model, then don't subject yourself to the frustration of longing for it. Get the best job you can with the talents you do have." End quote. So you know so much for. You know, you can be anything you want to be. Instead, it's you can be anything you want to be, so long as you're uh, comfortable with disappointment. Dream all you want, but the rent is still due. How very inspiring. And apparently, only women are bad at time management. When asked in an interview, it seems a young career woman sometimes asked her husband for a hand. In fact, he answered the interviewer's questions for her. He said, she doesn't really handle stress by herself yet. She gets uh, emotional and, and comes to me for help. I simplify life for her. Jesus fucking Christ. I hope she really simplified her life later and divorced this fucking ass. Who says that? Who says something like that? Oh, my poor wife. All the life she's been living is so hard, I like to spoon feed it to her. Because it's like my daddy always said. Real love is treating your wife like she's childlike with a traumatic brain injury. Next up, the fun-filled world of heart attacks and personality. That's right. As it happens, finding out angry assholes' hearts explode was just coming into focus in the late 70s. In addition to finding out that constant stress and hatred leads to heart failure, apparently there's a cancer personality too. Yep, if you're a quote, low gear person, seldom pray to outbursts of emotion, and have feelings of isolation and unhappiness dating back to childhood, you might be in line for cancer, as that's the basic description of someone with cancer. End quote. A study by Klaus and Marjorie Bronson. Bronson? Bronson of the Eastern Pennsylvania Psychiatric Institute of Pennsylvania. Uh, that's not right. Eastern Pennsylvania Psychiatric Institute of Philadelphia. They compared both these types. According to Miss Bonson, the heart attack personality vents his frustrations, irritations, anxieties, and other negative emotions outwardly by bellowing, cursing, or uh, what have you. The cancer personality takes the same negative emotions. They take them out inwardly. That is... Uh, he internalizes them. Did you hear that? If you're going around venting your angry feelings into the world, probably with cursing and screaming, throwing shit, scaring people on subways and in parks and in birthing classes, your heart will not take that shit. It'll up and tell you to fuck yourself, putting an end to your stupid rant for all eternity. Calm down. Just not too much, because keeping it in will give you cancer. And you'll die quietly in a hospital bed filled with pent-up rage and tumors. The commonality between these two, of course, is the body itself. Get rid of it. It's only causing you problems. You know what doesn't get heart attacks? The brain. That's right. You heard it here first. Ditch your body, save your brain, and you'll save your life. Of course, that's nonsense. You're going to need your whole body for a long time. Keep it. Keep it around. Keep it healthy. Exercise. Get off your ass. Listen to this podcast while you're running. Run away. Run far away until you're, you're ripped and healthy, no heart attacks, no cancer. Okay? It's a little helpful advice there. Real, real advice. Of course, killing your body does not save you. The real answer, according to the fine people at the Eastern Pennsylvania Psychiatric Institute of Philadelphia, I said that all over again, is negativity. That's it. The real, the real answer is negativity. Yep. It's all that's all that that causes all these problems. Now the solution, just forget about it. Uh, just leave that shit. Uh, you know wherever you found it. Uh, where it can, you know, just leave that shit. 
somewhere else. Yeah, just, just, just put it somewhere else. Bottle it up. Throw it away. If you're stressing and filling with a fiery rage at your desk or machine or, or laptop or computer or whatever, don't go bashing shit and get fired. No, just leave it at work. When you clock out for the day, just get out to your car, look back at your building and say, fuck you, you fucking fucking piece of shit. You're not coming home with me. You're staying here where you won't give me a heart attack. <laughs> and then you take a deep breath and you smile. You avoid the eyes of onlookers who think you're crazy talking to murderous ghosts. For cancer personalities, your path to a fit, tumor-free existence is... Ready? Ready? Confidence. That's it. Instead of getting all negative on your insides with all your self-hatred and history of depression, just, you know, just take a deep breath and do the opposite. It's just that easy. Fuck that therapy shit. Years of money down the drain. Uh, buying a doctor a new car while he tries to quote-unquote help you. I mean, fuck all that. The key is just to do the opposite thing. You know, you think you're a piece of shit and not worth it? Boom! Just flip it. Oh, I'm not a piece of shit. It's just that easy. That's all. It's been there the whole time. So easy. They figured this mental health shit out way back in 1978. Just just stops the thing that, uh, that you, that's giving you heart attacks and cancer. Done. Just, that's it. Lost wisdom here, folks. Where did it all go? How did we forget this? What else did we have all figured out back then? And then we just, you know, forgot about well, uh, a remedy that seems ludicrously uh, reductionist, simplistic, and easy. You know, when, when did that, when did we forget that? You know, when, when did that happen? Hey, hey, Confucius, I know it's only uh, 400 BC, but we're having one hell of a time dealing with this new, uh, new acquired immunodeficiency syndrome. I, I think the kids are calling it AIDS. Everyone is just fucking, is just fucking and dying left and right. A any wisdom on how to get rid of it? Oh, oh, well, <laughs> oh, easy. First of all, I'd like to compliment you on your speaking in Jesus's made up language a full 400 years before his birth. Kudos on that. Two, it's really, really neat that you fully know he'll be born 400 years before uh, right now. And finally, I'm not a fucking doctor. Well, well, thank you for all the compliments. I appreciate that. Look. We know you specialize in personal and governmental morality, uh, correctness of social relationships, justice, kindness, and sincerity. But uh, really, any old wisdom will do. You're confident. Uh, we're confident it'll work. Um, okay. Uh, seems a little flimsy. Uh, sure. Uh, probably not going to work. That too. Um, okay. Uh, shot in the dark here. Uh, try drinking a cup of baboon uh, ball sweat with a dollop of honey. Spin around 16 and a half, eh, 17 and a half times. And then at the end of the, doing this uh, here, uh, um, do this, do this movie. Here, see, what, see what I'm doing here? See, see, what, I'm, see what I'm doing here? It's called, I call it dropping it like it's hot. It's a new move I just made up. See, I'm going to do it. Do it again. Here you go. It's a new move. And uh, do all that and see if it works. Oh, oh hey. Hey, Confucius, my man. Hey, all... all uh, we did what you we did what you said there. All of the AIDS is gone. All the AIDS, all gone. People can just fuck whenever they want now. No AIDS. Hey, uh, hey, glad I could help. Yeah, yeah, we all thank you, thank you so much, sweet, sweet. But you know, just gonna get back to fucking as usual. You know, I guess. I, why not? Say, uh, hey, uh, but don't lose that cure though. I mean, seems like it might come in handy later. Oh, oh, no, pro no problem. It's a, it's in my um, uh, oh, ah, damn it, ah, ah, well, hell, ah, ah, well, hell. Just, just, uh, just you write it down real quick. No, I, I forgot it because I was high as fuck when I said it. Oh well, oh god. Oh well, you know, it's not a big deal. I'm, I'm pretty sure this AIDS isn't gonna come back. It's not a big deal. Look, well, I'm sure it won't keep diseases at bay. Because it fucking won't. Trying to think less negatively about yourself and de-stressing, I kind of agree with that. It uh, doesn't seem like it could hurt, you know? I mean, I, there's no way you're just going to flip-flop. That's impossible. I, I don't see that as a healthy remedy for anything. You don't just forget that you hate yourself. Not forget. You don't just stop hating yourself. It's For some people, it's a, it's a real problem, all right? And uh, absolutely go to therapy. But you know, know that uh, that it's uh, that you can do something about it. 
instead of being depressed, it doesn't seem like it would work, but it, it doesn't seem like it would hurt either. I mean, to try, you know, anything's worth a try if you're that kind of state, you know, but, uh, trying to think less, less negatively about yourself and de-stressing in a healthy way. doesn't seem like it, it could hurt. So is the info bad? Yeah. I, uh, the ease. I mean, it seems a little simplistic, but, uh, I mean, not really ish. Just try and stay upbeat. And, uh, if you can't, uh, you know, get help, talk to somebody and try not to uh, rage scream your anger away. <sighs> that wasn't so bad. Oh, there's more Teddy. It's time to go. What? You'll, you'll notice a back, uh-huh. A backpack underneath the desk. It has, uh, it has books in it. You're going to need it. Oh, for fuck's sake. Oh shit, it's not too bad. You may or may not be fine. I can't tell you. Oh, that's fucking great. You're going to be gone a while. Sorry. And he drew a sad face. Of course. Of course he did. Because I'm, he, I'm a, I'm a prick. Oh, for fuck's sake. I wait, I'm not a prick. You're a prick. Oh, for fuck's sake. I wish I wasn't such an asshole. Thank you for listening to this episode of Elton Reed's Book a Week. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it. Tell a friend, a neighbor, or whoever you think might like it. Your dog, well, maybe not your dog because he can't do anything about it. But if you're like me and you aren't keen on friends or socializing, because I'm kind of a shut-in even when there isn't a coronavirus shit happening, I just, me and people, I don't know. I just have problems. I'm getting off topic. Um, if, if you're not keen on friends, uh, you can rate and review this uh, podcast on whatever platform you, you get it on, uh, iTunes, uh, Spotify, wherever you want to. Just uh, rate and review it. I, I read all of them and, uh, you know, wherever I find them. And uh, it'd be really great if you did. If you want to contact me, you can do that on Twitter uh, at Elton Reads A Lot, on Facebook at Elton Reads Too Much, and on Instagram at Elton Reads A Book A Week. And if you want to contribute to the podcast directly, you know, you can do that at um, anchor.fm slash Elton dash reads dash a dash book dash a dash week. So Elton reads a book a week, but dashes between each dashes between each word, you know, like minus symbols. And uh, it's even easier uh, through Patreon. So if you go to patreon.com slash Elton reads a book a week, you can contribute there too. You know, every dollar contributed makes this thing happen easier and faster. And I can make more episodes with better mics that don't have so much fucking noise. But I mean, it's pretty good for what it is so far. I wish I could afford better, but I can't. Whatever. See, I'm going off on a tangent. Let's not do that. So every dollar contributed, uh, I put it right back into it so I can do shit and make shit and uh, extra episodes and everything just starts moving faster. And uh, you'll be part of that. And I'll thank you and give you extra stuff and all that stuff. All that. All that stuff. We'll figure stuff out. Me and you. We can just we can just be part of this together. You can help me produce this thing. That'd be fucking badass, huh? Anyway, so if you enjoyed it, you know, review Hit me up on uh, the social media stuff, or if you if you really want to be, uh, you know, help me uh, contribute to it on Patreon and uh, Anchor and all that. But uh, okay, I know you're busy, so enough of my shit already. I um I hope you have a great rest of your day or night or you know whenever you're listening to this. Okay, and by all means, read a book. Okay, don't let them die out. Uh, thank you. And bye 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 now. Uh, no, I don't know why I do that. <laughs>